You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your silver goggle-adorned heads. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping everyone's got their silver goggles now after last night. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews. I'm back for another day, another Tuesday of Blue Jays talk. And let's let's just get right into it because we we know what the big story was last night. We've hyped it up. Every Blue Jays outlet hyped it up. The promotion, the double pr- debut of Sean Reed Foley and Danny Jansen in last night's game against Kansas City. Did not go well for the Blue Jays. It was a 3-1 loss, which par for the course lately, given how this offense has been relatively inept lately, and that's putting it lightly. Just an inability to get any runs across the last three games. So it was an expected result, but again, that's not what fans of the Blue Jays were looking for last night. They were looking for performances from the two newbies, the two glimmers of hope on the horizon. And let's start with Sean Reed Foley. Uh, the 22-year-old in his Major League debut did all right. I mean, there's there's really no other way to put it other than he did all right. Um just a couple weeks before his 23rd birthday, Reed Foley goes out for five innings against the Royals, gives up six hits, allows three earned runs, walked three, struck out three, and it took him 97 pitches to get through 22 batters. So, again, it's it, it's what you kind of expect out of a guy making his major league debut. And you can argue that we're not for one mistake pitch that... Ryan O'Hearn, who had a 135 batting average coming into that game and was serving his Kansas City's DH, which I mocked on Twitter, and then he proceeded to hit that two-run home run off Reed Foley. One could argue without that pick, it's an entirely different game for Sean Reed Foley. And he goes out and, and has a successful debut. He doesn't get the win because, again, Blue Jays offense. But... It's it's something to build on for Sean Reed Foley. It it's exactly what Blue Jays fans wanted, especially in that fourth inning where the Royals quickly loaded the bases on Reed Foley and John Gibbons had Luis Santos warming up in the pen, but it would have made absolutely no sense to bring him in there if you have a pitcher who you're trying to groom and trying to get to learn how to pitch through situations in the major league level. So I actually applaud the move of leaving Sean Reed Foley in even after he walked O'Hearn, which gave him three RBIs on a season, which again, 160 hitter after that game, three RBIs against the Blue Jays. That, That sounds about right, given the Blue Jays' problems with hitters at the bottom of the lineup. Sounds about right. But after that, he got a pop out 
uh, from Adalberto Mondesi, and then Alcides Escobar grounding into a double play, which Escobar is a hard guy to turn a double play on because he's able to use his speed. So getting that kind of result is huge for Sean Reed Foley's confidence, and it'll help him going forward. Now, granted, his likely next start is against the Yankees, which that's going to be fun to watch Sean Reed Foley go into Yankee Stadium and watch a couple of those fly balls that got hit that Gretchuk and Pilar were able to corral on the Warner track. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens when he knows those are going to be home runs in Yankee Stadium. And he faces guys who can hit those home runs. I'm I'm not expecting five innings in Sean Reed Foley's next start. And and he's also had an issue, again, with his pitch count. It took him 97 pitches to get through five innings, which that's Aaron Sanchez-like. By, by contrast, Brad Keller used 101 pitches to get through seven innings and really made it easier on that Kansas City bullpen that has been absolutely abysmal, trotting out Brandon Maurer and his 10 ERA to be the eighth inning guy. So, but but again, we're not focused on the win-loss results. We're focused on growth. We're focused on how the young guys perform. And you can look at Danny Jansen's performance and say that was a successful debut for the catching prospect. He went two for three. Uh, with a pair of singles, one of them he beat it up the line on like a a swinging bunt, which was good to see. Like like he does have more speed than you expect from your average catcher, so that's going to be positive going going forward. The only problem is that Jansen was right. I don't want to say he was denied an RBI because. There was no way that Russell Martin should have been sent from third base on that play. And it, it's something that has been an issue with this Blue Jays team all year, is that they've been very aggressive on the base pass, and it's repeatedly burned them. And it, it's not just going going to home, although Luis Rivera has contributed to like double digits and outs because he sends everyone, whether or not he thinks they can get in, but that was deflating, and it it didn't have to really happen. You had Curtis Granderson coming up. You had the top of the lineup coming, so there was no need to force the issue with Russell Martin. You could have let Granderson stand in there and try and coax a walk out of Keller and then have Devin Travis, who is the hottest Blue Jays hitter in the lineup right now, have him up, and that's an entirely different game. But... Instead, they sent Martin. He's cut down at home. It's a one-run game, and Kansas City took the lead in the next inning and didn't look back. So it, it just piles on to the questionable tactics of this Blue Jays staff. We talked about the hitting issues yesterday. The base running has been bad. How many times have the Blue Jays started a hit and run and have it backfire and have a guy thrown out at second base? And and I know why they're doing it, because as you saw on that double play that ended the game, and I understand how difficult it can be to try and determine when you want to do that, especially if you're trying to avoid a double play, because the Blue Jays love to hit into those. The sixth inning, Devin Travis got caught in one as Smoke hinted into the shift. To end the game, Kendris Morales got caught in one, which 
of course that was going to happen. And if Grichuk is going on the pitch, you can argue that he would have broken up the double play because Escobar had to make such a play to get to that ball. But there was, there was no reason to do it going from third. Like, like the hit and run sort of thing, you can again, you can kind of explain. But going to third like that, especially when you're ahead and there's no need to try and send them, like that's the frustrating part trying to watch this team. And I, again, when I when I brought up Brooke Jacoby yesterday, I thought that he should be gone regardless. But you you look at this team and it might be like a clean sweep if. Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins want to put in their person and give them full autonomy on who they want on their staff. It might be a clean sweep. Honestly, I I'm I'm struggling to think who I would keep. I would keep I would keep Tim Leeper, I think, because I think he's been a great presence at first base. And I would arguably keep DeMarlo Hale, depending on who's available or or who's brought in. But other than that, like, I I can take or leave pretty much everyone else. So, I don't want to see Gibbons and them go, but if he is going, there needs to be kind of sweeping changes to install a new mindset, because the current mindset that the Blue Jays have isn't really working. And it, it got me off topic from Danny Jansen, who we want to talk about, because Jansen looked good. He looked, he looked comfortable behind the plate. He did a really good job calling... Sean Reed Foley, as well as pitchers who aren't named Sean Reed Foley, but he did call pitchers that he had experience with, and he looked really good um, when he caught Herrera in the sixth, moving, trying to move to second. That was a great throw from him. It, it was a little late, but Jansen was able to put it exactly where he needed to, and record the out. And you question whether or not Russell Martin would have made that play and extended the inning for for Mondesi. But it it bodes very well. Jansen acquitted himself very well and he already looks the part of a major leaguer, which again, that's the point of bringing him up this time is to get him that major league experience, make sure he knows how to handle himself and adapt to the situation. So very impressed with Danny Jansen last night. I think that bodes well going forward. And I want to talk about one other Blue Jay who was impressive last night and may have convinced me that they're worth keeping around right after this. Okay, so, again, Danny Jansen, obviously the focus of the night. Sean Reed Foley, obviously focus of the night. But I want to talk about one other guy who impressed me with what they were able to do last night, and that is multi-inning reliever Luis Santos. <laughs> I, I know, oh, Luis Santos, why, why are you talking about him? I'm... Starting to think Luis Santos is part of the solution in Toronto. And it, it comes because he's been able to control his pitches more easily now. As opposed to when we saw him coming up last year. And, and even in his first appearance this year. Which, 
Let, let's talk about that first appearance. It was the second game of the doubleheader in Cleveland. Santos was called up essentially just to be that sacrificial lamb in that game and just eat those innings. And he got torqued by that Cleveland offense. He got torqued to the tune of six runs in one and two-thirds innings. But if you take away that appearance, and, and this is what he's put up since he's been called up in July, if you take away that first appearance during that doubleheader, can I interest you in a reliever who has a 3.12 ERA on the season? Can I interest you in a reliever that has 20 strikeouts in 17 and a third innings? I, I thought I might. I thought that might be some numbers that people might be interested in. And again, one of the big things about Santos is because he's been stretched out a bit as a starter, he can give length, which is something that the Blue Jays bullpen has struggled with all year. Throwing out guys like Tyler Clippard trying to get more than an inning out of them. Getting John Axford to pitch three innings when he was on the club. Asking Joe Biagini to do anything beyond one inning. Luis Santos has come in and been a guy who's shown he can deliver two innings of competent baseball. He he had that appearance against the Yankees on the 7th. He blanked the Yankees for two innings, blanked Boston for two innings. Ironically, Minnesota was his Achilles heel. But in going out there last night, and, and you know, he's still wild. He... He barely got over 50% of his pitches in for strikes. But he has such a diverse repertoire from his time as a starter that he's able to keep hitters off balance, which is what you want to try and do. If you're going to pitch outside the zone, you want to do it with variations and know that you're you're going to try and coax more out of your opponents. And if you look at what he's done, he he only has like a 93 fastball. But he's been complementing it with his changeup that takes a little bit off and messes with the timing. It's a similar strategy to what the Blue Jays have implemented in the wake of the success that Marco Estrada had, pitching with that fastball changeup combo. And because Santos is a little more comfortable with his secondary pitches, he also has a curveball and a slider that he can use. And his slider's not bad either. He, he can get 93 on his slider as well. He doesn't throw it very often, but when he mixes in that curveball, when he mixes in that changeup to try and get that weak contact, he has more success. And he has emerged as a potential solution for the Blue Jays' problems going into next year. Because again, what was, what was a big thing that the Blue Jays' fandom was craving when Joe Biagini was a starter? They wanted Joe Biagini to move back in the bullpen, give someone with multiple innings potentially to work through. Biagini's proven he can't really do that. He's best as a one-inning pitcher, and even then he has a, a, a tendency to give up the long ball more often than people would like. So what Luis Santos has been able to do is kind of insert himself into the conversation as a guy who is young and controllable and can be counted on to deliver that length, to deliver those two innings when the situation is called for, and and not really hurt that badly in doing so. Because how many times do you watch these kind of slop guys, these mop-up guys come in and just exacerbate a problem? 
granted, Santos did exactly that against Cleveland in the second half of that doubleheader. But, you know, you look at that, you look at the situation and the context that Santos was pitching in, and it makes a lot more sense to kind of exclude that from the body of work that we've seen since he's been recalled in July. And I just want to say how impressed I was with Luis Santos because, you know, he took a lot of stick for the 11th inning blow up in Minnesota. But again, outside of that, he's been really effective for the Blue Jays. And, and dare I say, one of the few bright spots in a bullpen that the team could comfortably go to and not have to burn Tyler Clippard or have to burn Ryan Tapera or have to use Jaime Garcia, who, again, $8 million six-inning guy. Great. Great. That's what I wanted to pay $8 million for. But, no, I just wanted to highlight him as a potential name to watch for next year because the way he's pitching, I, I, I hesitate to really affirm my stamp to this because we saw what happened with Carlos Ramirez. He looked really good last year and then got DFA'd multiple times by Toronto and Oakland. So... You don't want to fully put the stamp on it, but Luis Santos has pitched himself into consideration for next year's bullpen. And it'll be interesting to see if he can continue developing that kind of arsenal, that starter's arsenal and reliever mindset, using his fastball changeup combo, but really augmenting it with that plus curve that he has. So if he's able to do that, he has a really good chance to stick with this team. And yeah, He's exactly the kind of bright spot we're looking for in this Blue Jays season. And, you know, doing my best to try and highlight them as we come to the end of another episode of Locked On Blue Jays. Again, thank you all so much for your support on Twitter, online, and and checking this out and listening to me and, you know, arguing with me on my takes and... I'm, I'm happy to do that because that's what builds understanding. That's what builds a, a better knowledge of this world is getting those different viewpoints and discussing them. So I'm happy to do that with all of you. You can do so if you want on Twitter at NeoAC18. That's NeoAC18. You can follow this podcast at LockedOnJays and check out my writing at jaysfromthecouch.com. Again, had a piece up yesterday about the dawn of a new era with Danny Jansen and Sean Reed Foley coming up. So check it out if you want to relive all the happy, fuzzy feelings from yesterday. Probably won't need it today because we get Ryan Barucki against Kansas City, and that should be fun to watch. I'm going to be looking forward to that game. And hopefully he can just go out there and just burly the heck out of those Royals. So... I'm looking forward to that, and I look forward to doing this podcast every day because of you, the fans, giving me all the support. So thank you again for that. Thank you so much for checking into this episode of Locked On Blue Jays. I've been your host, Ryan Andrews, and y'all take care.